Hello and welcome to the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Ariana Cascone, and I'm here today with Becky Morgan to recap the latest match weekend of the 2023 NWSL regular season. Becky, how are we doing today? Always happy to be here. Yes, I am too. I'm excited to talk about this weekend of games. It was action-packed as most weekends in the NWSL are. Right, so it started off with some NWSL after dark madness. So the Portland Thorns and Washington Spirit played to an instant classic and the Thorns ended up winning four to two and they are now at the top of the table. Um, Kansas city beat the Orlando pride two to one and then North Carolina bested racing Louisville one, nothing. And OL rain knocked off San Diego two one and Gotham beat Chicago by the same scoreline. And then to close the weekend, angel city and Houston battled to a zero, zero draw. All right. So lots of action, all teams playing and some shaking up of the table. Um, But Becky, why don't we start with the very first game of the weekend that was also the highest scoring, right? So Portland, Washington, and really it was like a battle of the best teams um, at this point in the league. So, Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the the two top teams in the league going against each other. I mean, this is a a game I told you right before we started recording that I I wish it had been on like big CBS because this is the kind of game you want people to come across and be like, oh, okay, wow, this is a really exciting league. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were back and forth goals in this one, right? Equalizers, um, right after the halftime break, there were back-to-back goals for each team. So no shortage of action. Um, But if we just take a step back for a second and think about, you know, this this game in terms of the standings, like what do you, what's your takeaway from from this game? I mean... (sighs) In terms of just the standings, it's the the Thorns are just as dominant as they were at the end of last season. I mean, they just have not slowed down at all. Uh, when we were talking some stats before we started recording, uh, like I came across the fact that they have scored in their last 20 games, dating back to last season. So they've scored in every game this season. Uh, they just, they really just cannot be stopped. And even so, I mean, Washington did give them a fairly good run for their money. I mean, sure, it was it was 4-2. But I mean, Ashley Hatch and Ashley Sanchez, both scoring, both, you know, pulling back pretty quickly to to try and keep it level. I mean, they they gave them a run for their money. So I mean, the spirit are proving to be a, a pretty dominant team this year despite the fact that there were a lot of question marks I think going into the season with the coaching change and a lot of personnel change you know they're they're really showing that last year was a fluke for them yeah I mean I think you know the Spirits head coach Mark Parsons did say at the beginning of the season that it would take some time for his team to gel and you know it's unclear if he said that to temper expectations or not but it's clear that the Spirit are gelling I mean losing it's interesting to say that after a 4-2 loss um but you know, after the game, some spirit players, I want to say Ashley Hatch might have said this, or Ashley Sanchez, excuse me, that it was sort of like a, a good test to go up against the number mm-hmm. one team. Um, and, you know, they come out four to two, but I think it gives the spirit some tangible things to work on. Um, and, you know, thinking about what you said about Portland, dominant is a really good way to describe them in the attack, I would say. Um, this has good. been the story of them this season, right? They have just a lights out attack. 
you know, headlined by Sophia Smith and their defense really, really needs some work. So, um, you know, they let up two goals in this game and their attack is able to scrounge together four thanks to a Sophia Smith hat trick. Right. But it doesn't look like Portland's defense is improving anytime soon. No, it doesn't. But at the same time, I mean, lesser teams would have given up more than two to the spirit. So like, yeah, I agree that the weakest, the the obvious weak point on the, on the thorns is, is defense, you know, across all lines. They're just, they're just not gelling very well as a defense, but at the same time, when you can have Sophia Smith, scoring a hat trick, you know, the, uh, that's less of a worry. So, I mean, they are all gas and, and no breaks. So, I mean, I, I think that if, if something happens and their, their offense starts cooling, that could be a worry. I think that they're a team that is potentially going to be exposed a lot more potentially during the world cup break because they're losing Sophia Smith. They're, losing Sinclair they're losing a a bunch of key players but I mean they are keeping Morgan Weaver and Sam Coffey even so I mean that is going to diminish their firepower fairly significantly so is their defense going to be even more of an obvious problem during the World Cup I I think that'll be interesting to see yeah this is totally something we should keep an eye on and you know you mentioned that um Weaver and coffee will still be there, uh, you know, during the world cup period. And that's definitely a positive, but I'm interested to see what this attack looks like without Sophia Smith, because I think that there's no doubt she really is the engine, right? Like, so in, she scored three of the four goals over the weekend and in pretty much all three of them, she was driving at the spirit, taking on, three, four, five players, right? Shooting from outside the box, like beating the goalkeeper from a a pretty, you know, large distance. And I think that individual talent is going to be a huge hole for Portland. Um, When we think about losing a player like Christine Sinclair, right? That's also losing veteran leadership and, um, you know, some of the intangibles as well as her play on the field. But I can imagine Olivia Moultrie, kind of filling that gap a little bit more seamlessly than um, somebody might fill into Sophia Smith's position. Just thinking about sort of what Smith has produced, right? 10 goals, five assists, leading the league in goals, um, looking like potentially running it back for an MVP (laughs) award at this point in the season. Definitely 100%. I mean, I I think you can say that there's no doubt the the spirit will – have the same concerns like we talked about in the last podcast like, like yes they're keeping ashley hatch both of us wondered like oh is that a bit of a snub like didn't she earn her way onto this roster but yeah, you know, they'll have her but i mean look at the goals that were scored by the spirit in this game ashley sanchez assisted on ashley hatch's goal and then ashley sanchez scored you know immediately into the second half so losing sanchez losing rodman who is just a constant threat that's going to be a big deal for the spirit. So will they be able to keep up their, um, their offensive engine as well? I believe they've scored. What did we say? Nine of the last games. That's a pretty big scoring streak. And not just that 15 goals, I believe in the last nine games. So, I mean, that's, that's a clip of almost two goals every single game. I I can't see how that's not going to cool down when they lose some of these 
players and losing Sullivan in the center, who's just such a driver, you know, similar to Sinclair, just in terms of leadership and, and being a rock solid, you know, midfield, almost quarterback type player to, to kind of guide the whole team. So, yeah, I mean, I think this was a really exciting clash and it's kind of fun that it came right before the World Cup because or before a lot of players leave for the World Cup. So we could really see both these teams at their height when these players are really trying to get hot and get to a peak right before, you know, they leave for this tournament. And, you know, it definitely didn't disappoint. Yeah, I agree. And I think you bring up some really good points about the spirit. I'm interested to see how Ashley Hatch will produce in the absence of, you know, two of the three members of their trio, that is so dangerous. So having uh, Sanchez and, and Rodman out to World Cup duty, I wonder, you know, where Hatch's goals will come from because a lot of those players do sort of start the play from the midfield and build up. And we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, earlier in the season, Trinity Rodman was almost putting the team on her back and saying, okay, you know, little flashes of individual brilliance from Trinity Robin were enough to get the spirit all three points in some early games. So this is a team that I really do want to keep an eye on. And if I think in the context, you know, we're talking about Portland and, and uh, Washington being some of the best or strongest teams in the league, I think Portland might be better suited to sustain losing some of their world cup talent with the depth of their roster. Um, and Washington to me seems maybe a little bit less well-suited to put it, you know, kindly, I guess. Um, But at the same time, right, we have seen players on the spirit step into brand new positions, brand new roles and really be amazing. So, you know, two teams totally to keep an eye on as we move forward. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how, you know, everything plays out across the league. But I mean, the spirit are interesting too, because, you know, it's Mark Parsons, coaching this team and you know he's the one that drafted Sophie Smith and and Morgan Weaver so I mean you kind of have to wonder like does he think like wow I did a great job and they (laughs) they beat his team for two or is he like oh man I should have I should have known them like I I you know I was their coach I scouted them I knew everything like how did I get beat by my old team I should have had like the most insight or you know I'm I'm interested that dynamic also is really really interesting to me in in terms of this game it just adds another layer of of interest to it yeah that that's actually not something that crossed my mind explicitly when I was prepping for this or even watching the game Um, but that's a good point right Parsons was the coach of the Thorns not too long ago so you know just looking at the table now Portland is on top and Washington actually finds themselves in fourth place but you know, two, three and four are all tied on 23 points right and so it's Washington's goal differential that is putting them in fourth. Yeah, and the top three teams all having seven wins. I mean, that's that's a lot. I I, I feel like, you know, this is a, a, a year when everybody at the top of the table and everybody at the bottom of the table are, are pretty close together. You know, they're almost on top of each other, but there's a big widening gap between, you know, sixth or seventh and the bottom of the pack because – you know, the, the top teams are just getting wins off the bottom relentlessly and mm-hmm. the bottom teams haven't been able to hold up. So I think it's it's interesting. You know, we've always had very, very, very close standings. That's a hallmark of the NWSL. But this year in particular, I feel like there's there's a little more distance in the center. And it's interesting to see how it's playing out with all the top teams literally only being, you know, one, two points 
apart from each other. Yeah, this is a really good point. And it feels like a good place to stop before we dive into talking about two teams that we cover closely, right? The North Carolina Courage and Racing Louisville, thinking about where racing is uh, in the table after 13 games. So we will be right back after a short break. Okay, and we're back to talk Racing Louisville, North Carolina Courage, and, you know, this widening gap between the middle and top of the table, as we were mentioning at the end of the first segment. So, Becky, what were your general impressions of uh, last weekend's match against the Courage and Racing Louisville? I mean, for me, just like the first game we discussed was all about offense with the Washington spirit and the Portland thorns. This game with North Carolina versus racing Louisville was all about defense and definitely on racing Louisville's part. They played in, I believe a four, four, two, which is, I also think this is the first time they, they actually went out in that formation that everything that they did was completely defensively minded. And it worked. I mean, they did hold North Carolina off quite well, and it was really only individual mistakes that caused them the actual goal. It wasn't a, like a tactical breakdown or North Carolina like didn't completely like read and figure them out and, and, you know, blow them over like they have done many times before. This was the lowest, the, uh, the, the fewest goals that North Carolina has ever scored on racing. So I guess, you know, that's good for racing who's lost eight out of eight now to North Carolina to feel like they're chipping away a little bit. But at the same time, you know, this was a game that very much felt at least on racing side that it could have been a draw and they just weren't able to pull that out. And even losing that one point just makes it that much harder, that much more of a long shot for them to, to potentially make the playoffs from the North Carolina side. What's your perspective? I think, you know, this, and Sean Neha said this, head coach Sean Neha said this after the game, that it was sort of like a tale of two halves for the Courage. You know, the first half, they kind of looked disorganized. They couldn't really break racing down. I think racing looked really organized defensively. Um, North Carolina did not have a single shot on target in the first, first 45 minutes. So, um, you know, at halftime, I was sort of buckling in for a second half that looked very similar and that the attacks were kind of quiet and, and getting into the attacking third for either team was sort of a, a slog. But, you know, what around 60, 65 minutes, I think North Carolina's attack started to come alive a little bit. And, and it, it did sort of feel like something turned on and and players were better at connecting passes and, and mm-hmm. you know, finding themselves in more dangerous areas. Um, the goal that North Carolina scored, I think it was really gritty. Um, it wasn't, you know, a beautiful build-up goal that we have seen from North Carolina in recent games. It was, um, you know, playing a ball into the box. And Katie Lund actually made a really great initial save. And in sort of the chaos that was happening in the six-yard box, I think after the second or third try, right, Tyler Lucy finds the back of the net. Um, and, you know, not every goal is pretty, but a goal is a goal. So I think... Um, I was a little bit surprised to see North Carolina's attack struggle in the first half, like I said, but it was probably welcome for them to to find themselves on the board and and get all three points in this one. Yeah, it was, 
I mean, it, it was it was frustrating as someone that follows racing because for this felt like probably the most winnable game that racing has played against North Carolina. But at the same time, um, I mean, racing, I just don't feel like they're going to be able to get three points off these top teams and get out of being a solidly mid-table team until they figure out something with their attack. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they have to like get rid of their you know, attackers, their forwards, but they need, they need to start clicking and they need to start heating up because racing has now failed to score, I believe in five out of 13 games. They're the third closest to the bottom. And I think only the pride and and Houston are below them in terms of uh, scoring in fewer games across the season. So, I mean, that's, that's not a great stat. They still have a positive goal differential. That's a huge, huge, huge difference from past years for racing. So, I mean, they're not, they're not doing horribly but you know as this game showed you know abby ursig made a heck of a stop i believe against madsen that would have been an open goal shot late in the game that would have made it 2-0 and absolutely impossible for racing to come back to and you know they, they limited it to one so the defense is solid midfield i mean ari borges jalen howell savannah Demello. i mean that is a solid midfield that's great it's really just the attack that is what is keeping racing from getting over that edge because every team's going to make some mistakes. You're never going to play perfect games, but they have to be able to, you know, get enough goals and get them consistently to at least pull points back. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like they're in that position and have been in that position so far this year. Yeah. I mean, I think especially in the game against North Carolina, um, I think Savannah DeMello sort of had an average game and that is not to take away from, you know, her performances in general in this season, right? I have said in the previous podcast, Sav DeMello has been amazing this season, played her way onto the World Cup roster, you know, but she was, she didn't have the greatest game against North Carolina. And I think part of that maybe fed into racing's attacking struggles, right? She often is their engine. She is often the player getting them on the board. And so, you know, for DeMello to have, um, an uncharacteristic game, I think, didn't help racing in this one. No, it didn't. And I do wonder if some of that is because they were in a completely different formation and that kind of stifled her ability, except, I mean, she was one of the players in the top. I just, for whatever reason, it, it didn't click. I mean, I also think that North Carolina did a very good job of being like, hey, she's the engine, we're going to completely shut her down, mm-hmm. um, which other teams have tried to do and not succeeded in. And, and North Carolina, for whatever reason, did did succeed in it. And yeah, she had the fewest touches of any outfield player on the on either team. She only had 43 touches. That's very uncharacteristic for DeMello. So Again, I don't think she had a bad game. I think North Carolina just did a good job of of really cutting her off. And then, you know, Katlana did a great job at times. I mean, Ryan Williams just utterly shut her down. But, I mean, she still got into dangerous positions, tried to get things going, and, and overall did pretty well. But, again, it just it just wasn't enough. And there was one – we were actually texting each other during the game, and there was one um, sequence where – I believe Katlana got it all the way up and then passed it to Wong and then Wong Shuang and then Wong Shuang passed it to someone else instead of just taking the shot. And that is, you know, just continues to be a problem with racing. Like you end up playing hot potato because it's everybody's so worried about missing the shot that you end up missing your best opportunities. And so those are the kind of things that racing is going to need to get over if they're going to you know have any shot at moving up the moving up the standings. 
Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned um, Katlana and Wang Shuang because I thought those two players in particular were bright spots for racing. Um, it was really fun to watch Katlana in person. That was the first time I'd seen them. So um, really dynamic player, super fast, um, good on the ball. So, you know, I think she has been getting minutes consistently, but I'm not sure that she's been in the starting lineup as consistently. So um, kind of excited to see how the rest of the season uh, plays out for her in particular. Yeah, and one of the exciting things too is, I mean, she coach Kim Bjorkgren keeps saying she's not 100% yet. He mm-hmm. thinks that she's only at like 80, 85 after coming back from her Achilles rupture. And racing will have her for at least the next game against Owl Rain because she, Uchenna Canoe, and Wang Shuang at least are going to camp for the World Cup later. So racing will benefit by having them at least into July a little bit because they've lost Ari Borges for Brazil and Savannah DeMello, um, obviously for the United States reporting today. Yeah, that, that's a good, that's a good um, piece of info that I'm not sure I knew. So, um, so thinking a little bit more about North Carolina too, I just wanted to, to sort of take a step back and just um, think about what they've been able to accomplish in recent games. So in their last five games, right, they have won four of them. So they're the only team to win four of their last five games. Um, they've won three straight and they have seven shutouts in 13 games. So that is, I'm pretty sure that's league leading seven shutouts. Um, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that is just downright impressive. I think, um, you know, last season, the story of North Carolina was that they were bleeding goals, right? I wrote a piece for the equalizer and part of the headline was about, you know, the courage just not being able to stop to stop the the bleeding. Um, but that's not what's happening this season. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with this new style of play. North Carolina possesses the ball, right? I think you mentioned that Sab DeMello really didn't get many touches on the ball. And I haven't looked too closely at the stats just yet, but I'd imagine that it's partly because North Carolina just had the ball and kept pinging it around themselves. Oh, I think they had close to 70%. The, uh, racing admitted that they were going to concede and not try and keep possession and, and, attack in the transition, which they did fairly well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, North Carolina utterly dominated in possession. Yeah. And that, that's that been the story of this season for them. Um, Nahas has said over and over again that uh, if the Courage have the ball, then they don't have to defend. <laughs> like They'll just defend in possession. And so clearly that's working for them. I think it will be interesting, though. You know, we're, we're talking about the World Cup and losing players and um, – North Carolina losing some of their midfield to the World Cup, right? Presumably Denise O'Sullivan um, will be on the World Cup roster for Ireland. And, you know, she is the captain of the team, but also does a lot of work on and off the ball for North Carolina defensively. So that's one player in particular that I'm really interested um, in seeing sort of what the downstream effects are, not having her in the squad. And also, of course, Casey Murphy, right? Um being called into the, into the U.S. roster and leaving presumably Caitlin Rowland to be the number one in North Carolina. Are you surprised as someone that follows North Carolina very closely how well they've come together this season with all the changes that they did? Yes, absolutely. Um, I came into this season rating North Carolina pretty low. Um, I'm not afraid to admit that I was wrong. I... I'm surprised that 
they started off pretty strong too. Like it wasn't really that they needed so much time to get to where they are, right? Seven shutouts in 13 games sort of tells you that it's been, you know, a work in progress, but at no point were they, you know, were there major red flags. I think in the beginning, the attack what is what was struggling um, and, you know, gelling in the attack kind of comes um, as long as you're, you're kind of like persistent and patient and, and trying to generate those chances, you'll find the back of the bed, the net eventually, I think is the, uh, is the line of thought there. But yeah, I didn't think it was going to be such a stark turnaround from last year. I mean, North Carolina was one of the highest scoring teams last year, I think only behind Portland, but they let in just a boatload of goals almost every game, right? Their, their games were really fun to watch because every single one was like 3-2, 4-1, whatever. Oh, they so, were crazy, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's just been very different this season. Um, and, you know, like I said, admittedly, I did not expect this from them. I, I made a joke last weekend after they won, or two weekends ago, rather, and they were top of the table for Saturday night. And I'm like, what year is it again? North Carolina is at the top of the table, um, right? So after missing playoffs for the first time since they arrived in, in the North Carolina market yeah. last season, and then to be, you know, one, two, three in the table, this midway through is is really impressive for them. Is there any reason that you think they won't be able to sustain this i mean as you said they started out hot you know it's not like it took them a while to get it together and now they're getting it together like they've they've been together they've they've been a pretty consistently solid team or do you think you're going to see them ending the season in in two or one even um i mean i wouldn't be surprised to see north carolina make playoffs this season i think that is the absolute minimum um you know, it's always hard to tell who's going to win the shield in this league. I think coming into the season, I predicted that it would be OL Reign. Um, and, and, you know, like they are one of the teams that are tied on points for second place. So, <clears throat> you know, I think something really interesting to keep an eye on for North Carolina is their young players are only going to get better. So players like Olivia Wingate, right, she comes in pretty consistently around the 60th minute for the Courage. Tyler Lucy has been doing the same. You know, Tyler Lucy's not really a young player, but Wingate is a rookie. And more minutes and more experience for a player like Wingate will mean she's only going to get better and continue impacting games. So I think, if anything, North Carolina will probably end the season, you know, stronger than they started because of these young players getting more minutes, um, more experience under their belt. So do you think just in the standings in, in general, looking at the broader, bigger picture, do you think like the top four that we currently have, the Portland Thorns, the North Carolina Courage, O.L. Rain, and Washington Spirit are just like unquestionably in the playoffs, you know, barring some major change? And then, I mean, arguably Gotham's been able to sustain it and stay up there too. To me, it's really only the sixth spot that truly seems like it's fully in contention and could cycle between San Diego, Houston. Um, I don't know if if Pride get their feet under them again, they could make a shot for it. Kansas City Current seem to be, you know, on hitting their stride as they're getting people back. They could make a run for it. I mean, I think it's it's a long shot for racing, but I mean, racing could still potentially make it. They are only in eighth place, so mm-hmm. you know, it seems like six. There's a, a good chance for there to be some turnover, but. For me, like one through five seem pretty, pretty rock solid. Definitely one through four. Yeah, I would say one through four for me is um, I don't 
you know, barring anything catastrophic, as you mentioned, I don't imagine these teams missing the playoffs. I think five and six uh, will probably come down to, you know, hopefully for viewers sake, like late in the season, maybe we have a decision day scenario going on in the NWSL, right? That is always exciting. Um, But, you know, I think what last season we had seven teams vying for those six spots. So It'll be interesting to see if it's even tighter this this season. Like you said, racing being in eighth place, right? They have 15 points, which are, you know, the sixth place team right now has 20. So um, it's definitely, and, and the summer in the NWSL is always like kind of the longest slog. I know that we have the the break for the World Cup in which Challenge Cup games are happening and very few regular season games. But these are things just to keep in mind. Um, take a snapshot of the table now and maybe compare them to September, October period. Um, but something that I think is worth mentioning when we're talking about the World Cup is, yes, these players will be out for World Cup games, but when they come back, it's not like they will be absolutely ready to go, right? The World Cup is kind of a grueling mm-hmm. tournament. So considering that uh, in the bigger picture is important too, like the number of, of regular season games players might miss might not just be, you know, one or two, um, depending on how far teams get. So no, that's, lots, that's a great lots to point. think about. Absolutely. Um, Okay, well, that feels like a wrap on today's show. Thanks so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure to get on here and recap our weekends. uh, And thanks, everyone, for listening. And, of course, we'd like to give a special thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy. For The Equalizer, I'm Ariana Cascone, and we'll be back soon with more on The Equalizer podcast. 